I can, I can point back to the development of an egocentric rock star pastor who, who manipulated conversations. It led to, in a very, very abrupt uh, series of events, my resignation from the fastest growing church in West Michigan. Yeah, and it, we, we need to call people to a high standard. That's not at all what we're, what we're speaking against, but it's, it's recognizing that when someone has failed, that's, that's when they need us the most, you know? And, and it, the same wires in your brain that go crazy and fire when, when you're hearing a bunch of amens in a sermon are the same things that you get addicted to those endorphins and the relief mm-hmm. in that moment are the same elements that are, that are present uh, when you're watching pornography. Hey everybody, I want to welcome you again to this Before You Quit podcast where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard and man does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do in these Before You Quit podcast. Uh, my name is Mitch Schultz and I'm your host today. I'm your host every time. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Hey, I'd like to encourage you to go to our website, www.beforeyouquit.us. There are now 28 podcast interviews that I've done. I am excited and humbled and encouraged by the number of people that listen to Carla's podcast, Carla Gerlach's podcast from last week. I think we had way over a thousand people who listened to that. It continues to be spread around. That's what I want to see happen, uh, touching lives through these interviews. And uh, so you can go there and listen to other podcasts and also many blogs that I've written in the past several years. Uh, Really exciting, challenging, heart-wrenching story we're going to be hearing about today from a, a friend of mine. Um, but let me set it up with this. We, we hear often stories of pastors who experience some kind of failure, moral failure of some sort, and maybe for the most of us there are statistics, there are f- stories we read about, we uh, hear about it on the internet or the news, but maybe it's not someone you know or, or hear personally from. Obviously there are a good number of us who maybe have been in churches where uh, we know of someone personally where this has happened. Um, but I'm, I'm going to be talking to someone today who knows too well the depth of shame and loss that comes when the heart is not guarded from the common temptations that pastors and, and people in ministry face. His name is Jay DePoy. Uh, he's become a good friend of mine in the past several years. His, his story is a riveting story. Uh, but you're going to find this, that it's a story that speaks more loudly to the grace and mercy of Jesus than it does of any scandal that you will hear about from Jay himself. Uh, Jay shares a, a heart-wrenching story of what led to his downfall in ministry, what it was like for him to recover and to survive and to be restored, and what it meant to his family, also how God never gave up on him. Jay's the founding pastor of Lakeshore Church in Muskegon, Michigan, and also of Exodus Church in Asheville, North Carolina. He's become the recipient of what he calls scandalous grace after repeated episodes of self-destruction. Jay's originally from Muskegon, and he's now returned full circle to West Michigan, where he currently works with homeless addicts at the Heartside District of Grand Rapids. Uh, Jay's the proud daddy of Mariah Grace, Ambria Faith, and Ashley Hope. And in December of last year, or two years ago, Jay married his uh, truest friend, Teresa Joy. And together, Jay explains that they are leaning into the adventure of God's rescue mission. 
Uh, let's go to that interview right now, and um, excited for you to hear from Jay Deploy this morning. All right, up in Michigan is a very good friend of mine by the name of Jay Depoy. Jay, how are you today? How are you doing, Mitch? I'm doing great up here. Yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't talked to you for some time. Definitely haven't seen you, so this is just great. To, as I said in my prayer before we started, this podcast is a, an excuse to talk to a good brother. <laughs> it feels that way. It feels like a bit of a family reunion here. Yeah. Well, Jay, you you um, you and I met really. Um, for the first time when you were going through a really, really tough time. In fact, I, I, I think I told you this sometime afterwards that I had just started my ministry. And in fact, the day after I had formally started, I was connected to you. Someone had told me about you and given me permission to contact you. And um, uh, you were going through a very tough time. And we're, the purpose of this podcast is uh, I'm titling this Meeting God at the End of Your Rope. You've been a pastor uh, you've had some a, a lot, lot of extreme ups and downs. I'm just going to let you just start, tell your story, and uh, we've we've got a lot to talk about here. Yeah, I mean, actually, I have a lot of uh, of PTSD from some of the trans the the abrupt transitions in my ministry that left me with some memory loss, hmm. and I honestly don't remember um, uh, our first meeting. I do remember you reaching out to me. It was a phone call. It was a phone uh, call. Late at night, I remember. I want to say Jeff Shipman was the initial connection. Yeah, yes. So, um, and then uh, just pouring my heart out to you, a stranger, because I didn't really have anybody else to talk to. Mm. Um, but it, but chronologically speaking, I, I mean, um, my story has been uh, full of ups and downs, a roller coaster of... Uh, times of I, I've experienced um, all of the um, all of the the ministerial successes that people you know tools that historically people would use to measure success in mm -hmm. ministry um, with fast growing churches and and preaching to you know big crowds and um, you know the inspiration and catalytic leadership and fiery kind of passion and nothing draws a crowd like a crowd and I began to find my value and my worth, uh, my identity as a pastor of such and such a church. And so my first stint in ministry was up in Michigan. I had the opportunity to be a part of a church plant in Muskegon, Michigan, that experienced that kind of flash in the pan uh, growth. And um, I was in my late 20s, I think, when we started and, and quickly found my niche and, and, and it kind of created the, an ethos in the, in the culture of our, of our church of an egocentric mm. uh, um, personality driven church planter and, and a church culture that revolved around, um, you know, sermons that, that were entertaining and, mm -hmm. and funny and all, all these things that, that I just, um, allowed it. Well, to you, were you were taking it. I, I sense what was happening and happens to some people is that there's so much success. You must think, wow, we're doing something really good here. And you start taking credit for that, don't you? Yeah, that's the thing is you, you start thinking it was something I, that I'm doing or that I, I really am the next Billy Graham. Or mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and others, others are no doubt saying that to you too. So you're getting that affirmation, not from 
visible success, but many people affirming you like, wow, you're, and it's often in spiritual terms, isn't it? Wow, isn't it amazing how God's exactly. using you? And we were seeing miracles. We were seeing people come to Christ. We baptized a hundred mm. believers in Lake Michigan. I mean, these were good things. Mm-hmm. And, and it got, it got really blurry pretty quickly where mm. God was certainly moving and the power of the spirit was evident and manifestations were present. And at the center of it all was this you know, electric young leader who, you know, who, who, who felt ultimately that he had become bulletproof. Mm. And, um, three years into, uh, this church plant and we had gone to multiple services and bought property and, and, uh, you know, three years into it at the zenith of our growth, um, there began to be some, um, exposure to the depths of my depravity not the least of which was uh, me pursue like seeking affirmation mm-hmm. in, in unhealthy ways. It mm-hmm. started small. It started with, well, how, 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 how fast is your church growing and, and what's a budget and, and how many people liked my Facebook post and, mm-hmm. and then noticing like, I would check the stats on my blog to see how many people mm-hmm. were reading my blog. And, and it did something to my brain. It mm-hmm. started these wires and, my brain started to really get high like it was a drug off Mm. the affirmation and i can i can point back to the development of an egocentric rock star pastor who who manipulated conversations um i was an artist at manipulating conversations to go in a way that i wanted it to go Mm -hmm. that would garner some type of a compliment or in, in, in my worst days, in my mm. ugly, ugliest expressions, to get uh, boundaries crossed that didn't look like they were anything wrong, but in reality, mm. they were inappropriate conversations I shouldn't have been having. And those were the gateways that led to patterns in my life of, you could say, moral failure, not, not ex- exclusive sexual moral failure and things like that, but, but when you judge morality as a much broader, you know, as mm. in God's eyes of what really is uh, morality, um, it's, we often limit it in the Western church to sexual sin. I mean, mm. Christians historically for 2,000 years, we love to emphasize sexual sin. But um, I, I remember there was, a, there was a West Coast megachurch pastor who, who a couple years ago resigned um, for, I don't know, being a bully and being kind of dishonest and just a number of things. And the elders of the church said something to the effect of, it wasn't a moral failure that, that led to his resignation. And I remember John Ortberg responded in a Christianity Today article. He said, since when isn't integrity a moral issue? Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, That's so those interesting. Are, those are some things. And so when, when I met you, um, uh, I had, I had been reeling out of a cyclical event in which we had started another church in Asheville, North Carolina. It again, it had experienced tremendous growth. A lot of great things were happening. I mean, again, people were getting saved. We're baptizing people, and and uh, we're we're really doing God's work on you know in this ministry through the local church, and um and and, and beneath it all, beneath the surface, was. Um, a lead pastor who was living with a deep shame. And these were things you were bringing from Michigan with you, you feel, and, and uh, how comfortable are you sharing? uh, You know, it was interesting. Let me back up here a little bit. It was really 
fascinating that you, you share that you were experiencing, you know, the pinnacle of success, like the, the high that every pastor in some sense longs for, but you also experience some of the lowest things that a pastor uh, can experience. How, how bad did it get? I mean, just as, as much as you want to share. Sure. Um, so my, um, the choices that I made in Michigan as a lead pastor in a position of public trust uh, included, um, it, you know, it got to the point where some conversations that became so personal and so vulnerable and uh, through the gateway of sexual in nature, sexual conversation, mm-hmm. I ended up exchanging sexual pictures with a woman. Mm-hmm. And this moral failure um, kind of spread like wildfire uh, when she began to tell some people and I was confronted with it. And then it led to, in a very, very abrupt uh, series of events, my resignation from the fastest growing church in West Michigan. Mm. Uh, and, and yet it was, it was kept under, under you know, um, it was it was kept kind of quiet as to what exactly happened, what was the nature of it, and about ten months later, there was a knock at the door, and the police were investigating, and uh, and it turns out I was actually charged because I had been in a position of public trust with this moral failure and with manipulating the ethics of being you know almost like a like a counselor uh, mm-hmm. violates those ethics, and I actually landed in jail, and so when I say roller coaster, I mean being the guy. Yeah. That's, yeah. Everybody yeah. loves to the rock bottom that everybody hated. And I felt the shame, the ostracized, you know, being ostracized. My family was um, banished. Um, and I remember just being suicidal. I remember mm. sitting in a jail cell. And I had gone like two weeks before that being like I could have ran for mayor mm. to the public enemy number one. And mm. over that's the kind of when I say PTSD is like a bomb detonated in my brain because my whole identity was, uh, was, was taken or removed because it was built into my title. And when that was gone, um, it would be a, a several year process of understanding really what happened and, and what was the thing behind the thing. And so really, although I, there was tremendous growth when I came down to North Carolina from Michigan, there were still a bunch of things in my life, in my secret, darkest sins, the shame, things I'd never told anybody mm. about that, um, that would surface eventually and catch up to me. And that's exactly what happened in, in Asheville. So that when, when I had, uh, stepped away from ministry and it wasn't something I was like forthright with and the convicted by the spirit. And I just got to, mm-hmm. it was something that was like, like I was cornered with and abruptly, mm-hmm. you know, held against the wall toward the, until there was like a confession. Uh, so it was, it was a pretty, um, you know, uh, it was about the ugliest of ugliest uh, seasons because it was about three months of wrestling with, um, uh, accusations and psychoanalyzation and uh, an inquisition about almost everything bad I've ever done in my life to the point where it took a toll on my marriage. Mm. And, and at some point that w- it, it got to the point where like, we can't do this anymore. And yeah. so that's when you came into mm-hmm. the story. And um, I, I had talked, I believe with Jeff Shipman and, and he had recommended you or maybe suggested mm-hmm. you to reach out to me and, uh, and then I remember, I remember all, I didn't, first of all, I didn't know who I could trust mm-hmm. and I didn't know, um, who my friends were because I had just come out of a season of 
just really being, I felt very judged. I felt very afraid. I, I, I was afraid of my own shadow. I, I, I didn't know what to say. And, um, and you called me representing this ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. And I looked you up on the, your, your website and, and read about what your passion was. And, and, and I remember just thinking, man, I, I just lost my job and I don't have any money and I don't even have insurance. So I'm like, I don't have anything to pay you. And I think 24 hours later, you were, we were sitting across from each other and we were talking mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. stopped everything you were doing and you came and, and then your wife came and, and just, and just were willing to walk with us. And from there, from there on, we just became friends and you committed to walking with me, um, for, for a season uh, as we were trying to figure out, um, you know, what, 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 what just happened? Why did it just happen? What's the thing behind the thing? And where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. And it, I'd like to say that it all began to make sense and, you know, and, and, and mm-hmm. it got better, but it actually got worse. Well, there were, there were layers that were being peeled so that, that surprised even you. I mean, it'd be easy to say it surprised others, but I don't think you even anticipated how deep these things were. No, there's no way I could have. Mm. You know, there's no way I could have. Um, looking back on it, these are these are. This is a season of my life that I really don't like to talk about. They're very mm. dark. And the only reason I've agreed to this interview, one is out of our friendship, but mm-hmm. I think you and I agree that if 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 there's another pastor out there, if there's a guy out there who's listening, who wonders if he could ever truly be loved and um, if people really knew all the junk that they've done, all the, the the junk in the trunk and the skeletons in the closet, would he, would they still love him? Mm -hmm. And, and and I know that fear. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, we talked about this before we started recording that, uh, you know, with the hope that this, this uh, resonates with a lot of pastors because there, there are a lot of people who live with the same sins you lived with um, that we all live with yours just took on a kind of a visible form. And meanwhile, the rest of us are really sophisticated in how we contain these same things. And, uh, and your explosion, if you will, uh, I think reminds all of us that, uh, that we cannot contain sin, that, it, uh, that, that honesty, uh, openness, trust is, is for our benefits. You know, we, you know, trying, trying to, trying to, trying to tame a lion is not going to work. You know, it's impossible. And our, our ability to repent and to release these things sometimes takes us down a road of further brokenness, which is exactly what you experienced. Well, let me, let me ask you just a few kind of reflective questions as we kind of walk through your story. What do you think you were ignoring during those, those, uh, times of success, that season when things were really going well, that, that led you to, uh, the, the downfall? I think, uh, um, I think the, the, the message really was who, who I am in Christ needed to be centered on this beloved relationship apart from anything, any title, any status, any worldly success, any ministerial success, mm. um, didn't define me. And, or even sin didn't define me, that I was loved, that if I never did another thing, um, that I was loved. And I really had to accept that, that reality. And I think God, what I was ignoring during those, those patterns and those seasons of sin in my life was that still small voice and that gentle whisper of, of even what the Father said to Jesus, like, this is my beloved son. Mm. 
mm. and, 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 and accepting that identity that I am beloved in Jesus because of Jesus um, and that God loves me. And, and that is my identity. Mm. And, and mm. if there were a business card, that's really what it should say. So, so how different are you now? Well, where I am now is um, free. I don't, I don't feel, I, I don't feel that I, that I have to prove anything. I don't feel like I have to do great religious feats of success or, or lead a church or preach great sermons or do anything to rebuild my reputation, anything mm. I don't, that I can serve. Right now I work with um, young adults with special needs. And so teaching, you know, Billy how to tie his shoe you know, or the cognitive delays of uh, Down syndrome and autism. Mm-hmm. I have a, a heart for spe- those with special needs. And I find that I believe this is where Jesus would be. And mm. so um, the other thing, I started probably a year or two ago going downtown Grand Rapids to the rescue mission and just sitting and having meals there as in solidarity with wow. other brothers who are, who are struggling with addictions and or have hit rock bottom and mm. if you listen to the stories although we look a lot different mm. you guys never dreamed if you would ask them yeah. 10 20 years ago if they'd ever be here exactly yeah they, they had a plan for their life wow and, and like i never dreamed that my life story would take on the trajectory that it did and so when i had gone there and so we started building relationships with with guys in recovery and at the rescue mission and homeless and and started, you know, like, let's find hope in the scriptures together. I'm one, mm-hmm. one beggar to another beggar where I found bread, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we started a Bible study. And this Bible study has begun to grow and take on a life of its own. And, um, and there's been uh, fruit on the vine. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's been uh, fruit where people are really giving their lives to Jesus and, and finding the, uh, not needing a 12 step program, but the death, burial and resurrection, a three step program, uh, of Jesus to be the one that will truly set people free. Mm. Um, and so that's, um, that's where I've, when you say, where am I now? I'm, I'm free. I, I never felt free before. And I never mm. felt, wow. I never felt truly loved before Mitch, mm. because I was never honest enough mm. to let people see the real me. Therefore, yeah. the love that was projected on me in the back of my mind was thinking, well, that's just because I let you see what I, what I want mm-hmm. you to see. And if you really knew the real me, you wouldn't love me. Yeah. And that, that theory was validated a couple of different times when mm-hmm. in reality, sure. right, they didn't, <laughs> they turned. So yeah. I had that, I had to come to the place where, you know, if, until I'm totally free to walk in the light and, and be asked any questions for this interview or anybody on the street, um, I have nothing to hide. Yeah, I mean, we talked about we talked about how open are you going to be here? We, you know, we try to try to set some parameters, and you were like, "Hey, uh, I've got nothing to hide." And it must be a great place to to be. Uh, so you know, where there are, of course, there are still layers that the the Lord shows us. But to be at such a point of brokenness where uh, our sins are known to others. And and knowing that that Christ died for those sins and He forgave us for those sins, and, and you know, there's that, that whole uh, parable uh, or notion that Jesus teaches that you know the one who sinned more understands forgiveness more. Yeah. Uh, you you understand forgiveness and and grace yeah. uh, in the way that most people do not. Uh, you know, for for most people, perhaps it's a it's a theory, it's a theology. I mean, we have moments where yeah. 
you know, I, we had communion this past Sunday at church, and I'm reflecting on my sin. I'm reflecting on what I've been like. But I think when you have hit the 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 place that uh, that you've hit, I think it it means something more. And and so it's, for me, it's so refreshing because we've had a you know a few conversations since you were at your worst. But to hear you speak so freely, I, it's it's so it's refreshing uh, to me and exciting as well, Jay. If you've ever if you've ever been. I believe if you've ever been a recipient, you will become a redistributor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so having received this scandalous mercy, I, my, my overflowing response is to show mercy mm-hmm. on others. Cause I've, I've been a recipient of it. So yeah. like, Mitch, I remember the day that you physically had to pick me up mm-hmm. physically off the floor. I mean, rock bottom, that's what it looks like. It, yeah. it looks like you yeah. can't get up off the ground. You fit yeah. I was under a table. And you physically picked me up and carried me to your car and put me in the passenger seat. And you were going to give me a ride back to someone else's house. Mm-hmm. And you didn't know how to get there. And you kept asking me for directions. Mm-hmm. Do I turn left here? Do I turn right? What do I do, Jay? And I'm like, I can't even think right yeah. now. I was sobbing so hard. I'd point or something. And I, I think you embodied Jesus in that moment for me. You are the incarnational presence of Mitch. That's what I want to be for people. Mm, I want to yeah, yeah. physically pick people up off the street and, and, and carry them to rescue. I'll never forget that. I've forgotten mm. a lot of things by choice. I, <laughs> I, I have selective amnesia. Yeah, that was a dark. That's one of those moments where you wonder what, what's the next thing, you know, when, when someone reaches that low. You, I, I had a deep sense that Jay was going to be all right. I, I didn't know how. I that didn't. would happen. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't know how I just had the sense that uh, yeah. you, the Lord would, would be the one ultimately to, to pick you up. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd like your, I didn't plan on sharing this, although I alluded to it as we were preparing. I just wanted your, cause this relates so much to this. My son who has been in a, in a, a writer and a producer for a large camp ministry uh, during one of the camps this summer, large venue for four or 5,000 teenagers there. The speaker uh, was, I think, talking about integrity and, and purity and maintaining righteousness. And he, he told the story of a pastor friend of his, a well-known pastor who uh, has a close-knit group of guys that he mentors. And every year he gives to these guys a golden pen if they have remained faithful, if they've remained pure. And, and then the speaker said this, and it bothered my son. He said, I, I, I live for that golden pen. Uh, and what my, my son conveyed from that was just the sadness of once someone fails and, and drops off, uh, then he's, he's isolated, marginalized. What, with your story, how do, you, how do you hear something like that? What's your reaction? Because the golden pen is a reward, but what about the person who's fallen? They need more than a golden pen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, my first thought on that is I, I compare and contrast that with a, a story many years ago that Matt, Pastor Matt Chandler once told. Do you know Matt Chandler? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he, the, the story, it's, it, it went viral on YouTube. You can find it. It's called um, The Rose. And he tells a story about how he – he once went to a, a, uh, a college ministry event, uh, you know, worship service, and there was the guest preacher there. And he, and he had so hard worked 
to uh, invite a, a woman who had lived a hard life and been married a few times and was living with a boyfriend and had just had a hard life and really needed Jesus. And so he, but he'd been praying for this friend of his and she, she decided to come. And while she came to this particular service, he said that the guest pastor got up there and he held up a, a, a rose and he um, smelled the rose, a beautiful rose. And then he said, well, let's pass around the rose to everybody. And so everybody in the crowd takes, you know, the rose, pass it all around. And, and then after a while, he takes the rose back. He says, now, now, um, now what's this rose that's been passed around? Nobody wants this rose anymore. And it's all mm. withered and shriveled up and, mm. and all pieces of the petals are all over the ground who would want this rose this rose is, is, is been used and torn up and it's a mess and and, and, and don't be like this rose you know you know it was a sermon about I think mm. sexual purity and, mm. and 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 Matt Chandler inside him was just this rage because mm. it brought someone whose life resembled yeah this rose and all he could think of he wanted to scream Jesus wants the rose yeah, yeah. Jesus, wow. I don't know about a golden pen <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about a perfect bouquet of flowers but I've often felt like I have this overwhelming theme, this, this thought in my life where Jesus is on the mountain and he's selecting his 12 disciples. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, I'll take you and you and you and you. And then he points to me and he's like, I'll take you. And I'll take you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> behind you. Yeah. And when I say, mm. Mitch, you embodied Jesus for me when you picked me up off the ground, I wasn't a, I wasn't a golden pen. You know, I wasn't a beautiful bouquet of flowers. I was I was that disciple that uh, you know where the Jesus leaves in ninety nine and goes after the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I have some I have some uh, reservations about a message that 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 communicates of worth and value and how you earn and achieve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, we we need to call people to a high standard. That's not at all what we're what we're speaking against, but it's it's recognizing that when someone has failed, that's, that's when they need us the most, you know, and, and we should not, uh, not give up on them. Uh, you know, given, given we're, we're talking about the, you know, where I asked you earlier, where, where you feel, how are you doing now compared to before? How, how do you balance the memory of, because the memories there, I know you, you alluded to the fact that some things you've forgotten, but, but the, the general story is still, you know, pretty seared in your, in your memory. Uh, how do you balance the memory of what what you were and what you did with where you are now? How do you, how do you reflect over that? Uh, I mean, the passage it says, "Forgetting the things that are behind, looking ahead and forward." Um, and Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, and the great cloud of witnesses around us. I don't spend a lot of time. I used to. I, I just don't spend a lot of time reflecting on, or defending, or trying <clears throat> to um, spin my story in some type of way uh, that would be anything other than uh, yeah. an expression of scandalous mercy. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing I don't do is I, I don't spend a lot of time. I think Teresa has really helped me uh, not sit in the back and romanticize the past. Mm-hmm. I, do, I, I do that all the time. I romanticize the, the good old days of ministry mm-hmm. when life was great. And like, really? Cause I was a mm-hmm. mess. Yeah. And uh, I was miserable. And so I spend a lot more time, what keeps me up when I can't sleep at night, it's no longer tossing and turning because of my shame. Mm-hmm. It's tossing and turning because of my optimism and excitement about mm. the next chapter and how God is recapitulating my story in such a way that somehow it's going to be used for his glory. And I think about synchronicity and the cosmic orchestra, how God is orchestrating mm. for his divine glory 
all the pieces of the puzzle that are going to come together and how he's using these scars and these wounds and this podcast as, uh, as something that will amplify an age old gospel message. That's true for me that I want to tell as many people as possible that at the end well, you're, of the world boost. You're, you're speaking to pastors. What, what is the message that uh, you have for pastors? So to the pastors who are listening, I would suggest that one of the common, common threads between all of us is we were born with a fundamental dis-ease, a desire, a fire, a restlessness, a, a, a passion to, uh, to spread the gospel and make a difference for the kingdom of God. Those are good things. And that takes on multiple expressions. One thing it often takes on is I think pastors probably struggle with boundaries a lot. And some of those boundaries include what to say yes to versus what to mm. say no. Mm. So we overcommit ourselves because we want to make a difference for the kingdom and work yeah. hard and do great things. And, and these are not bad things that we're signing up for. And so to the pastors who are listening, Mitch, I think of you're a pastor. So you think of, you, you've been, you have intrinsic energy, creative forces within you that make you a great writer, that you put words together in such a way that craft sermons and conversations and, and writing books. And, you know, God has uniquely wired us pastors with a gift. Hmm. The danger for us is that gift can become our, that same gift can become our curse. And for the pastors who are listening, some, I'm guessing that there will got, there'll be people who are listening who feel sometimes like what started off as a gift has become a bit of a curse. It feels hmm. more like a burden or a weight and you're burned out and you're exhausted. And there's the red flag that hmm. there's a pastor who's listening to this, who is burned out and exhausted and is feeling discouraged and is in that discouragement beginning to manipulate those conversations that, that you're good at doing because you're a pastor mm. in such a way. It doesn't have to be sexual, but in such a way that somehow you'll get a compliment mm -hmm. or, or you'll cozy up to the right people and they'll affirm you. Um, and the danger also is you'll if you're feeling rejected in ministry, internet pornography is a, a, a quick, a quick, it's a, it's a bandaid to a tourniquet. It's a quick mm. fit that brings self-pleasure and, and, and false affirmation from the evil one that um, becomes a quick addiction. And it, the same wires in your brain that go crazy and fire when, when you're hearing a bunch of amens in a sermon are the same things that you get addicted to those endorphins of the mm. relief in that moment are the same elements that are, that are present yeah. uh, when you're watching pornography. Yeah. I mean, science will show the physiolo physiological release of endorphins mm. uh, and chemicals released in your brain when you're preaching in a Holy Spirit fused sermon and there's an overwhelming response and applause and great things are happening and we become addicted to that feeling. We, we become addicted to Sunday morning and the same addiction is available. Those same chemicals are the chemicals that are present in an addiction to pornography and false affirmation from the evil. The same, same chemicals that are released when you look and see how many people watch this, this podcast or, mm -hmm. or your blog or, or bought your book. I still have two listeners. So I, it, I don't, 
care anymore. So, yeah. so, <laughs> Just kidding. So, yeah, you kind of flat. Yeah. Around. You know, when you were when you were talking, I I remember, uh, and it's kind of embarrassing. I really have not thought through this that much until you mentioned it. That when I, uh, for a season, I don't remember what season of my life it was, but after a sermon. I would purposely gravitate to one particular person because they tended to be more affirming of my sermon. Yes. And I, I needed them after the sermon. Yes. <laughs> you know, so Jay, you know, we all struggle with the same things you struggle. Again, a few have gone to the, uh, you know, dark extreme that you have. It, it, it took that for you to be rescued from Jesus. Um, we're not asking people to you know, go across those lines. Jesus, rescued by Jesus. By Jesus, yes. Did I say from? Yeah. I, I didn't mean that. I, I'm not used to doing podcasts at eight o'clock at night. So. But um, how 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 are they rescued? I mean, from the things that the the addictive things that you're talking about, without having to crash to the extent that you did. I still because if you if you had this kind of conversation with someone maybe early on in that stage maybe you did and maybe you were not listening, but uh, what again it's still worth the effort of talking to guys and yeah I still I still believe in the power of koinonia. Uh, I'm pastors yeah. familiar with that word you know the, the intimate fellowship mm, sure and doing life together and it's no wonder that. Um, there's this uh, transparency movement going on right now in, in uh, sociologists and, um, you know, Brene Brown and others who are writing a lot about courage and vulnerability mm-hmm. and uh, being willing to be, being courageous enough to be vulnerable means in appropriate levels of disclosure in the appropriate context and with the right circle of people around you, get two or three other brothers with whom you can be totally free yeah and totally vulnerable and that is the that is the uh that is the rescue the rescue that's the remedy that's the word i'm looking yeah yeah i love that yeah and i heard a talk uh with the desire to bring balance to that i think this person was giving you know credence to that to to accountability to community but he was speaking to pastors too of the of the the power and, and personal benefit of of preaching the scriptures, of staying in the scriptures, and and not sure. not departing from the scriptures, and uh, you know being uh, overly uh, drawn to you know being attractive or or, or attractional, uh, but really just committed to preach the scriptures. You know whether it's exegetical preaching. Um, and that, that was his point too, was, yeah, you need the, you need the, the transparency, the accountability, but if you're not in the word as a pastor and, and, and sticking to the text and preaching the text, uh, you're out of balance. Um, so, and I know you believe that, uh, I know that that's a strong, we haven't talked that much about the role that what, what, what was the role of the word of God in your, in your recovery? Uh, well, it, it was, the big piece was the renewing of the mind. And mm-hmm. so uh, in my recovery process, it was a couple of things, um, but looking at how God can renew and rewire those, those chemicals mm-hmm. in the brain that I was born with, and we all are, uh, and, and how that happens through the Ephesians 6 full armor of God. So just memorizing and inhaling and letting the Ephesians 6 constantly marinate was mm-hmm. a big part of my recovery nice. yeah. process. Um, I remember you talking a lot about that early on. Yeah, that was really yeah. powerful for you. Jay, uh, 
just to transition here, um, you wrote a novel that kind of played out your experience. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. How, how helpful was that for your writing? Tell us a little bit about what that book was. Yeah. So I wrote, thanks for bringing that up, that plug. Uh, I, I wrote a book called uh, This Little Light. And, uh, it, you know, it was an opportunity for me to make sense of my own story, but, I, but it was a safe way for me to write because it was mm-hmm. fiction. Sure. And so in the fiction, people can read into it however mm-hmm. they want. Yeah, yeah. But the That's a novel way to write, by the way. Yeah, a novel. I like it. Yeah. See what you did there. <laughs> uh, the, the main character was someone who was celebrated as a war hero. And oftentimes pastors are celebrated for their position or their great sermons or whatever else. The, the public image, the image management. But this particular character... Um, was carrying a deep, deep secret that he was involved in a friendly fire incident mm-hmm. in the war and, um, and nobody knew about it. And so the more he was celebrated, the more he hated himself. And I felt like that was uh, a, kind of a, a aloof kind of metaphor illustration of how I felt in ministry as the more successes and the more I'll celebrate mm-hmm. them, the more or I hated myself because I knew it wasn't true. And the, and all the more love that people threw at me was the, the more I felt hated because mm-hmm. it's not real. And, and you can't live that way. Yeah. It's not that's, a, that's a great parallel. You know, same way someone feels when they've, they know the secret of having killed someone in friendly fire, but everybody sees them as a hero. That's a great, great comparison there to what you, you experienced. I read the book. It's, it's a good book. And I'll, I'll put that on the, uh, on the website for people to, uh, to look at as well. I assume that's, that's available on Amazon, isn't it? You, you were the one that read it. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> You're worse than I am. <laughs> um, I want to go back to something you just said though, because I think pastors yeah. have a tendency to gloss over or skip over the power of, of, and how God uses science and how it can be redemptive. I think historically faith and science have been in conflict and all this mm-hmm. stuff, but you know, if, if there's a pastor listening and you're really, truly struggling, it is imperative that you find a good counselor with HIPAA. I mean, what, uh, for me, I need to, okay, you're signing HIPAA, right? Cause I will sue you if you tell a word of this, <laughs> you know, a safe place yeah. um, to have the kind of treatment and understand I needed to understand what was happening in those chemicals. In my brain. I went through EMDR therapy. Um, and I think it's, it's an acronym. It stands for something emotional, motion, reprocessing something and uh, redirection but basically it, it just is about those the brain chemicals and how it is in sync with scripture but we can't just quote verses at people and just be like we'll put on the full armor of god brother you know mm-hmm. that you know you need both so mm-hmm. uh, i want to say that that's that's very important and yeah, I, you know the other thing, last thing is is i didn't have people because pastors are really good at vague confessions Mm-hmm. Pastors in every sermon talk about we use self-deprecating humor to or or vague confessions, vain humility to talk about. Well, I struggle with lust and pride, you know, and you know. But you want to have the type of friends who will pull you aside after the sermon and be like, "Like what? Hmm. What are we talking about here? Hmm. What, what what's going on?" No. And, and and to have a safe place where you can really have someone ask you the hard questions, like 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 what. Because there's a relative safety in being vague, yeah. But, but to be specific, now what exactly are we talking about here? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I know Bono, the lead singer of U2, once said, "If everyone around your table is on your payroll, 
you're in trouble. In other words, if you're only mm. associating with people that, that are on your payroll. And you're yeah. Like, yeah. That's, that's good. You need more than that. Yeah. Wow. That that's, that's so good. Uh, Jay, any, any final thoughts before we wrap up here? Um, you, you know, it's, I, I would just say um, that our identity as pastors has got to be in who we are in Christ and not mm-hmm. in, and it's easy to, I preach those sermons, man. I know we know those verses, Yeah. but if, if, if you can't really enter into that reality um, through prayer and, and through koinonia, then you're going to have to learn the hard way and it's yeah. going to be painful. Yeah. And there will be hard way. There will be hard times. And I, I think we, we prepare ourselves for those things by, by reflecting on who our identity, you know, I, I counseled someone not long ago who's experiencing, you know, brokenness in marriage and suddenly identity in Christ means something to them, you know, and, but they were prepared for that because they'd been in the word and, and, yes. and now, you know, it's, it, David said it was good that I, I was afflicted. Uh, it was good that I was afflicted so that, that I might, I might love your, your word. I I'm messing it up again. I'm blaming this on the late hour here. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, if he had not been afflicted, then he would not know the, the power of the word of God as, as he did. Uh, Jay, uh, personally, this has just been wonderful to hear your, hear your story now. It's a, it's a different, it's the same story, but it's a different chapter in that story. It's a beautiful chapter. And, uh, and I can't wait to just see what else the Lord has for you and, and your family. And, uh, but for the, for the ministry, for what this podcast is all about, thank you for sharing so openly because I know this will be an encouragement to people. I want to be just like you when I grow up and so (laughs) Uh, include my email address or something like that in this. If there's anyone out there listening and they just want a a friendly ear, I would love to make myself available to just talk. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I will, I will certainly do that. Well, Jay, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. You did a great job on this. This is this has been very good. Thank you. I love you, man. I appreciate. Love you, you too, brother. Thank you, thank you. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And um, if you have any questions or comments, you can leave those at the before you quit email address, Mitch at before you quit dot us. And again, I would encourage you to. Look at the other podcasts that we've done. I'm really excited that last time, two weeks ago, when I interviewed Carla Gerlach, we've had over a 1,000 people that have downloaded the podcast interview, and that continues to grow. I'm really encouraged by that. That's what we want to see happen. So uh, share this on Facebook and let your pastor and elders know about these podcasts. They are designed to give courage and perspective when serving gets hard. So until next week. Next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. 